guys. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Kristen and Zach Horton. This is Doctrine and Covenants sections 14 through 17, Witness. And in this episode, we are asking you the question, inviting you to ask yourself the question, What's my witness and where or when does the Lord expect me to stand and give that witness? We're really excited to study these sections with you and hopefully to be a catalyst for a powerful study you'll have on your own. But first, we just wanted to read the question again from last week or remind you about the question last week and share with you a couple of the responses that we got on social media that were just good. I think there's so much um, questions, so much swirling around these questions of women in the priesthood that I think it's a great topic to keep on your mind as we study the restoration in general. So if you remember last week, the question was, what is the power the Lord has given me and what does he expect me to do with it? So the first, first one says, the Lord has given me priesthood power through my covenants to enhance my capacity to receive revelation for myself and my family, also to be a better steward for the people the Lord has asked me to care for in my calling. It's validating, but also stride lengthening too. I like that one a lot because something we didn't talk about last week, but I've heard a lot of people mention as we talk about the power that God gives us is it's power to help someone else. He never Never, maybe it's too strong. I can't think of a time when he gives us power that is solely focused on our own benefit. It's almost It almost always seems that he's giving us power so that we can benefit or help someone else. Well, I think that's what you mentioned last time in our last episode, mm-hmm. which, which is really interesting to think about because it's through our covenants. Our covenants are given to us so that we can help other people. Yeah, yeah. And which exactly is what this next comment is that we wanted to share. God has given me the power to help people. As I look back, I often see things I have organized to help others, things I had totally forgotten about. Right now, I have been helping a family who has a son dying of cancer. I know God has something else planned for me when this sad situation ends. Um, I think that's really powerful. What a gift that is to be able to reach out and help others and see them for how God sees them. I think that is definitely a power that he uses to work through us to be his hands to help and serve those around us yeah thank you so much for participating with us for sharing with us on instagram Uh, we probably mentioned this too much but we love asking these questions because we love to hear what you're thinking what you're feeling and what you're finding in your own study so if you get the chance this week to jump on instagram and to share some of your answers or thoughts in response to our posts and specifically to the question that we'll pose there we would love to hear from you and that's you can find us at scripture study project well as i mentioned the title of this episode is witness which is drawn pretty obviously from the word that's repeated throughout these sections sections 14 through 17 are addressed well 14 through 16 are addressed to the three whitmer sons Uh, david whitmer is uh, friends with oliver cowdery and as Oliver Cowdery writes to him and tells him what he's learning about Joseph Smith, and then eventually that he's scribing for Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon is uh, coming from these gold plates and is going to be translated and then uh, published, David Whitmer and his family become enamored with the story. 
They're very, very excited and very and very supportive of the prophet and his efforts. Of course, the translation of the Book of Mormon will finish in the Whitmer home. And uh, David and his two brothers, John and Peter, uh, become witnesses of one sort or another of the Book of Mormon. Section 17 is addressed to the famous three witnesses, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. That's interesting to note, just for your background FYI, at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, you know that there are the testimony of the three witnesses and the testimony of the eight witnesses. The three witnesses, Oliver, David, and Martin, receive a spiritual conviction. Uh, They are shown the plates by an angel, and they hear the voice of God bearing witness that this work comes from him. The eight witnesses give a tangible witness. They are Uh, don't see an angel and they don't hear the voice, but they get to actually touch the plates and flip the pages and and verify that they are actually plates. And as I studied this week, uh, the word witness lodged itself in my mind. Uh, I want to share this briefly. After this incredible experience of these three witnesses, uh, Lucy Smith, Joseph's mother, records this. When they returned to the house, it was between 3 and 4 o'clock p.m. Mrs. Whitmer, Mr. Smith, and myself were sitting in a bedroom at the time. On coming in, Joseph threw himself down beside me and exclaimed, Father, Mother, you do not know how happy I am. The Lord has now caused the plates to be shown to three more besides myself. They have seen an angel who has testified to them, and they will have to bear witness to the truth of what was said. For now they know for themselves that I do not go about to deceive the people, and I feel as if I was relieved of a burden which was almost too heavy for me to bear, and it rejoices my soul that I am no longer to be entirely alone in the world. That phrase, witness, they've seen something and now left to witness, uh, is what spurred our study this week. And so um, the question that we want to ask you, as I said, is, What is my witness? And where should I stand, as it says in in section 14, where should I stand to give it? To help you answer that question, what we want to do is to clarify some things about witnessing that we may often get wrong, but that we need to get right if we're going to be able to answer this question for ourselves. Well, we're using the word witness But Zach, I think another word synonymous with witness that we use more often today is testimony. Mm -hmm. So that's a great thing to think about. I think just maybe makes it more applicable today as we share and bear testimony. Um, The first thing that I want to share about being a witness is something I noticed is that a witness can and maybe should focus on how God helps us change. And... 15 and 16, you'll notice that they're the same, pretty much almost word for word the same. And I love this verse. So this is in 15 verse 6 and 16 verse 6. And now behold, I say unto you that the thing which will be of the most worth unto you will be to declare repentance unto this people, that you may bring souls unto me. Now, I love the thought of declaring repentance will be of the most worth And why will that be of the most worth? Now, I'm just going to read into this a little bit and maybe put a little bit of my own experiences into this verse, but it will be of the most worth because in order to really be able to declare repentance, you have to experience it first. Repentance means 
changing, turning to God. It means knowing who Jesus Christ is because you've experienced his forgiveness, his power, his help. I know for me, my witness of repentance is very, is deeply personal to me because I felt that inside of me. And that is a very motivating thing for me to want to share because I felt that. It's a real power that I felt that he's allowed me to forgive other people, that he's forgiven me. And I think when we experience something like that, it becomes of great worth to us. It's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago in that obtaining and declaring the word. We need to obtain experiences with repentance, with Jesus Christ, with his power, with his atonement, in order to be able to declare what he wants to share with us, in order to declare that with power to other people. Because when you feel something, you're extremely motivated to share that with other people because you know that it works. And in section 14 of the chapter heading, it's talking about the three Whitmer sons. It says, they each having a testimony as to the genuineness of the work became deeply concerned over the matter of their individual duty, which is what brings about these next verses. These are the answers to their question of, what is my duty? How can I help with this work? They're feeling motivated by the excitement that they're feeling of the opportunity they have to be a part of sharing Jesus Christ. And so they want to know, what do I need to do? And I love that they're motivated by this. And I couldn't help but see that connection of, of Joseph Smith. When we talked about Joseph Smith and all that he went through, he was also deeply concerned about wealth, the, where, the welfare of his soul. Is that how he says, mm, isn't that how yeah. he says it, Zach? Um, and here it is again coming up that they want to know that they're right before God. And Joseph felt that that same way. And so I think that it's important for us to figure out what's going on inside ourselves before we take it upon ourselves to share it with other people. Seek first to obtain and then to declare. We see that, we saw that phrase, we'll see it still, I think, as we go on. And so ultimately, I think this one of repentance is important and he mentions it in each of the sections because repentance just means coming to Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately what this is all about. Well, and I think it's uh, important to note, as you did, that um, this shows up in each of these sections, and even sections 15 and 16 are identical, which happens in Scripture, right? You have uh, passages in the Book of Mormon that echo passages in the New Testament. And uh, I love when the Lord does that, because I've, I've often noted that uh, in his, in a lot of these, in English we have it, but in a lot of ancient writings, they don't have punctuation marks. And so uh, the way that the Lord would express emphasis is by repeating something. And so here he's repeating this message of declaring repentance four times. And in back-to-back sections, the exact same message, the thing that will be of most worth to you is to declare repentance. So this is obviously something that is extremely important to the Lord and should be important to us. Well, and it says in you know, it's sections 15 and 16 that are repeated. And it says in the section heading, the message is intimately and impressively personal in that the Lord tells of what was known only to John. And then you get the repeated chapter after that. And I think that that really tells us that there's power even in repetition. Um, I mean, I think of a lot of the things that are repeated, like you said, Zach, that, um, we read the same scriptures, yet we can feel pierced in the heart in different ways. 
and even the sacrament prayer that we say over and over and over again, but the power behind those words. And so I think it's interesting. I'd love to interview them and hear what they thought about that as they received these. But that's just kind of a cool side thought to think about. Another note that kind of goes along with that is, um, in addition to a witness being about God helping us change, I think a witness, well, I know a witness can and maybe should be sharp. Uh, That word shows up repeatedly in these sections where the Lord explains that his word is sharp or is declared with sharpness and with power. And um, I've, I have I love that word. Uh, it shows up in other places in the Doctrine and Covenants, famously in section 121, reproving betimes with sharpness. Um, now, it might have a more negative connotation in our modern minds than it did 200 years ago when it was written. Um, sharpness in, 18, you know, in the late 1820s, 1830s, uh, didn't mean with criticism or harshness, what it meant was with clarity and sometimes even with uh, with haste or with speed, meaning there wasn't a delay and there wasn't any kind of hesitation uh, in the message. And so to declare a or to receive word with sharpness means to receive it quickly and without hesitation. And then to declare a witness with sharpness means the same thing. Um, as I was thinking of this, I, I was thinking of... Um, a courtroom and wrestling with what a witness actually is. We have so many layers that influence our testimony in our modern church experience. Uh, We have cultural layers and language layers and historical layers and family layers, all of which that make our testimonies very rich, but also that might sometimes lose some of the elements of what actually makes our witness meaningful and powerful. And so I thought of just three specific ones as I was thinking of the experience in a courtroom of someone giving their witness. If I was called to be a witness in a trial. Which Zach was just saying he's really sad. He hasn't ever. I've never. <laughs> I'm the only person that actually wants to have like jury duty or be involved. In the, maybe I've watched too many uh, court drama movies or whatever. But so this is just my imagination of what it would be like to be a witness. But if I'm thinking of that courtroom and I'm called upon to bear a witness, I can think of three things about that witness that might contrast just a little bit with the testimonies that we often give or hear in our church meetings. Number one, a witness should be specific. If I'm called to bear witness in a court, they want me to talk about a specific thing that I have witnessed. In other words, I'm not put on the stand to pass judgment on the the culprit. I'm not there to say he's guilty or he's innocent or I think or I feel. Uh, I'm called to bear my witness of something specific that I was a part of. I saw something, I heard something, or I I met someone, or I read something. Um, or your specialty. Right, right. Yes. Whatever I'm a, your specialty exactly, is that exactly. you've had experience with. Yeah. Um, and so in our modern testimonies, we are quite prone to saying broad statements of testimony. I know the church is true. I know the gospel is true. Now, pause really quick because I know that there is some pretty harsh criticism uh, floating around the interwebs about people that say things like that. I know the church is true. I do not have that same criticism. 
Uh, in fact, I had a discussion earlier this week with some colleagues and we were talking about what that means. When we say that I know the church is true, what are we saying when we say that? Is it just a cop-out answer? And our conclusion was that it's not. Uh, and I had the thought, when we say that something is true, like if we say that an arrow is true or that it flies true, we're saying that it flies straight. It goes where it's intended to go. And I think that's what most people mean when we say, I know the church is true. We're saying, I know the church is trustworthy. I know the church is going where God wants it to go. So I don't have any criticism for any statement along those lines. However, to say statements like that, those testimonies are often built line upon line. Um, and so it is valuable, I think, to recognize, in addition to maybe our general statements of testimony, some specific testimonies we might share. What specific testimony could you bear about your experience with prayer, or as you mentioned, with repentance? What specific testimonies could you bear um, about gospel principles and how the Lord has interacted with you in your life? And I think, like you mentioned, that maybe true is a more all-encompassing word that people have experienced. Line upon line, they've had these small experiences. And if you haven't felt that or haven't felt the need to say that big of a statement, that you can also break it down into very specific words. Maybe you don't feel comfortable saying, I know the church is true. You can use other words like, I hope the church is true. I know the church is good. Or... If you want to talk about smaller experiences, we don't need to be intimidated by these overarching themes, mm -hmm. but how valuable it is to hear some of those other words used. I felt light when I said a prayer today. Mm -hmm. um, I felt hope because I studied my scriptures this morning. I feel like God is forgiving me and that brings brings me peace in my life. That Those kind of words, those specific pieces of a testimony are a testimony, yeah. and they're a powerful testimony. Well, in fact, you're you're bringing up the second and even the third a little bit points that I wanted to point out about what a witness is. So if a witness is specific, it is also experiential, meaning I am called to bear witness of what I have experienced. It's my witness. Um, I'm talking about things that I have experienced firsthand. Just as you mentioned before, it's something that I've obtained, and now I'm called to talk about that witness that I've obtained. And then the third one is that a witness can be multisensory. Um, in one of our Book of Mormon episodes, in Alma 32, if you go back and listen to it, one of my favorite studies that we've ever done is in Alma 32, where we talk about the different words Alma uses to describe how you know if a seed is, what he says, a true seed or a good seed. And he talks about different ways you can tell. For example, the seed swells within your breast, or the seed enlightens your understanding, or the seed enlarges your soul, or the seed is delicious to you. And I think in a similar way, when we express our testimony, as you said, we quite often uh, maybe revert to saying we know something is true, but there are so many other spiritual senses available to us in expressing our witness. I believe, I notice, I feel, I think, I hope, I wonder, I like. All of those can be words that we use in expressing our testimony. Multiple senses of our spirit that we can use to describe our, exp our experience, even our specific experience with God changing us. Well, and I love that you use the word sensory. 
especially in terms of these witnesses. Many different witnesses. We have these. We have the three witnesses, like you said, that had this type of a witness of the Book of Mormon and of the plates. And then there were the eight witnesses that experienced it differently. And then we have other witnesses here and there that they felt the box that they were in or how heavy they were. Or And then we have Joseph and Oliver, obviously, who had different experiences with them. But each of these people had very different sensory experiences with the plates. In fact, and I'll, I'll try and find this and throw it in our show notes, but um, Elder Uchtdorf explains uh, a story about the men from Indostan that, if you remember, they go to the elephant, they're all blind, they can't see anything, but they're experiencing different parts of the elephant and they're describing it to each other. And it's only in the combined multi-sensory explanation of their witness that you gain a real true sense of what truth actually is. And I think that's why we have so many different witnesses from so many different angles expressed in so many different ways. It gives the gospel depth and richness and contour and shape rather than all of us just trying to repeat the exact same testimony or express the exact same witness. Which I think is why these chapter, or I keep saying chapter, section 15 and section 16 might be repeated, but can be felt very differently by two very different people experiencing something. And I don't know about you, but as we're talking about this, it makes me excited. It makes me excited to gain my own witness and my own testimony because there's so many layers to it. You can really feel things and experience things so differently. And honestly, we have the experience, the opportunity to experience them all if we really want to. I think God's willing to give us as much as he possibly can if we're ready and we're, if we're up for it. So lastly, and maybe this builds off of some of the things that we've already talked about, but that a witness requires faith. And this is in section 17, verse 2. It says, And it is by your faith that you shall obtain a view of them, even by that faith which was had by the prophets of old. Um, I think that kind of goes without saying. I don't think I need to put much explanation behind this, but just that I liked thinking of that all of this stuff takes faith. It takes faith for them to ask the question. It took faith for jo Joseph to ask the question in the beginning. It took faith for them to say, okay, I'm believing this. I'm feeling something with this. What's next for me? How can I help with this? I have faith that something's going on and I want to be a part of it. Um, and then going back to section 14, in verse 5, again, it emphasizes that point that I just said. Therefore, if you will ask of me, you shall receive. And if you will knock, it shall be opened unto you. It does take that faith to ask and it takes faith to knock. And he says, again, repeated in each of these, seek to bring forth and establish my Zion, keep my commandments in all things. And again, keep my commandments. And I think that phrase is repeated for a lot of these reasons that we've already talked about. He wants us to have experience with him. Keeping his commandments and following him takes faith and it takes that obedience to do what he wants us to do. And I think that as we keep his commandments, it is that cycle. I, I kind of picture that cycle going on in my head as if we ask him, he gives us a little and we think, yeah, I think I'm going to try this out. I'm going to obey him and I want to keep his commandments because this is, this is working. This is something's happening with this. So all of it takes faith to move forward 
and try out new things. Yeah, in fact, I had a colleague of mine that made a really interesting comment this week that I'd never thought of, but we were talking about faith and miracles. And it is an erroneous belief that miracles never happen to an individual without that individual's faith. Now, it is true and it is explained that miracles only happen because of faith, but sometimes they happen because of other people's faith. For example, Alma the Younger does not have faith when he receives a visitation that shakes his very soul. Paul is not exercising faith when he receives a vision that shocks him. Uh, the faith that... Um, for in Alma's case, it's the faith of his father that maybe causes that event to happen. And Paul, maybe it's those around him or the prayer of, of church members. But this colleague mentioned, sometimes God allows for a temporal experience because it will uh, create a space for greater faith. For example, Alma the Younger has that experience um, where he sees the angel and has that three-day experience um, and everything that's described there. But it's interesting to note that later on in his life, when he's expressing his witness, he does not name that experience with the angel as the foundation of his testimony. He'll explain, how do you suppose that I know this? Behold, it has been born to me by the Holy Ghost after much fasting and prayer. In other words, his witness isn't, hey, I saw an angel, and that's why I believe. His witness is, whatever happened with the angel caused me to reach out in faith, and it was that faith that brought the confirmation of the Holy Ghost and that helped me to believe. Similarly, the Lord instructs the three witnesses in section 17 that they are to follow a similar pattern. Notice in verse 1, Behold, I say unto you that you must rely upon my word. Rely is a great synonym for faith, which if you do with full purpose of heart, you shall have a view of the plates and also the breastplate, and then you'll share that witness with others. But it's they are to rely not on what they see, but on the word of God that comes to their hearts. Now, if you know the ongoing history of these three witnesses, all three of them at different points in their future lives will struggle with that faith. They will struggle with their belief in Joseph Smith as a prophet, in the church as led by a prophet and led by Jesus Christ. Uh, none of them recant their physical witness, their, their visual witness of the plates and the Book of Mormon, but they all at different times struggle with their faith. Now, Oliver and Martin both come back to the church. David Whitmer never does. Um, but their, uh, their, that, that delineation between their visual experience and their spiritual experience, I think, is important. They are to rely on God's Word. And similarly, when we bear our testimony, when we seek to acquire it and to share it, we have to remember that uh, witnesses are, at their core, an experience of faith, not an experience of vision. So as you seek to answer the question this week of what your witness is and where God expects you to stand uh, or walk or sit or whatever it may be and share it, remember a witness can and maybe should focus on how God helps us change. A witness uh, can and maybe should be sharp and a witness requires faith. It's interesting to note in section 14 to David Whitmer, 
the Lord expresses some definite uh, statements and some indefinite statements. It means that there, there are some things that are going to happen and some things that may or may not happen. And it's interesting to note, section or verse 9, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who created the heavens and the earth, a light which cannot be hid in darkness. That is a definite statement. Verse 10, wherefore, I must bring forth the fruits, the fullness of my gospel from the Gentiles into the house of Israel. A definite statement. But then verse 11, behold, thou art David and thou art called to assist, which thing if ye do and are faithful, you shall be blessed both spiritually and temporally and great shall be your reward. Amen. That is an indefinite statement. In other words, God will bring forth his work no matter what. He invites us to participate, to obtain a witness, and to share a witness, not because he needs it, but because we need it. The experience of obtaining and sharing a witness can transform our heart and touch and transform the hearts of other people around us. And so take some time this week, wrestle with what your witness is, and consider where you might share it with others. We bear our witness of the power that God can give us as we seek to ask Him questions and receive answers from Him through Scripture that changes our lives and changes the lives of people around us. Thank you so much for studying with us this week, and we will see you next week.